once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of the podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J. Hello, Josephine. And how are you in this insert time period here? Because 2021 has already felt like about a year long. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, It has been a millennia. Already. It has. How are you doing in this decade that has been barely three and a half weeks? (laughs) I'm doing okay. I am surviving. I don't know which lockdown we're in or where we are, but I'm just happy that I'm here. Since you're happy to be here, I can ask you who you are. (laughs) Who am I today? Hi, I'm Dr. J. I got to give myself a job title, which was Harbinger of Change, because ThoughtWorks allow you to be fabulous. I also got to give myself my own gender, transgressive, non-binary, gender queer. Thank you to the New Zealand government for allowing a simple thing as a statutory declaration to change the gender upon my passport. So that is now my official gender. And because I've made a statutory declaration to that effect, that has to be my official gender and I cannot state it in any other way. So if your forms do not allow me to state my gender, you are in fact forcing me to lie and enforcing me to lie or disassemble. You are making life more difficult for me because I could be seen to go against the statutory declaration that I have made. What else am I I'm a troublemaker, as if you couldn't tell already by that statement, and a hashtag queer nuisance because, well, troublemaking is my brand. So, Josephine, I'm just going to say, who are you? You've gone very normative on me. How how can I cope with that? (laughs) (laughs) Hi, my name is Josephine Baird. I am a scholar, activist, and artist. I used to like to make a spectacle of myself upon the stage, but I now do that more often by drawing queers and putting the pictures that I make on the internets. I also like to think of myself as a queer with a purpose because I now have a job working as a lecturer at the University of Uppsala teaching game design. Which which is is exciting. It's fun. It's lovely. I'm really enjoying it. I've found random people who I know listen to this, which I kind of find amusing. And that got me into the topic because I randomly connected to somebody this week and they made a comment that, this current situation has caned their mental health and I'm like yeah it's caned mine as well and I kind of wanted to talk about lockdown because there's different ways that people are surviving it but it's also caning people horrendously I mean it's really hurting and not caning in a good way caning as in a way that is making people feel really beaten up by the current lockdown I mean every time I hear that the British government is doing a press briefing at five o'clock. You just kind of reach that point of like, what now? What is going to happen now? What is the new thing that we can do or we can't do? And one of the things that I'm terrified of is that they'll stop social bubbles because those have been such a lifesaver to people like myself who live alone. And without that, I think I would have broken in the last six months. I just wanted to talk about our lockdown experiences and how we get through it. I don't want to challenge your self-assessment because you assess however you want. You know yourself. You use whatever words you want. But broken is such a difficult word 
I've dealt with it so much because I've feared I've been broken so many ways and times. The truth is you're not broken, but what you are is under stress and stress creates fractures. You're doing fine. In fact, your reaction is quite normal. (laughs) It's this thing about mental health and this weird notion of sanity. I hate even using that word, to be honest, because I don't think it helps. But this notion of mental health that I find so weird is that people think of like mental health issues. They think of as some sort of abnormality, like a sort of abnormal reaction to the circumstance. Oh, that person is reacting very strangely in this perfectly normal circumstance. Well, almost always, the truth is that they're acting perfectly normal, given the input that they've had. Hmm. For whatever reason that they're acting that way, they're acting logically in their own way. The logical reaction to being stuck inside for a year, not being allowed to see many other people, being under constant terrified stress because the government keeps fucking up. And by government, I mean any government at the moment, and we can take your pick. England, Sweden, the US, although thankfully they've recently decided to change some of that. So I wish them all the best of luck. It's, It's a perfectly natural, normal reaction to have certain mental health issues come. That's not being broken. That's actually reacting like a human being should. That's what I mean about this thing is that I almost want to say like, we're so frightened of acknowledging our mental health because we think of it as something, hello cat. Um, (laughs) Your reaction is normal. It's not broken. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I don't mean to tell you what you are and what you aren't. I just know that that word like normal is a word that is used very often and it's kind of given to us and it's sort of a received word to talk about these kinds of ideas. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me personally, it's like, no, I see a human being in front of me, Jay. I see a human being who is experiencing quite reasonable responses to an unreasonable situation. It's untenable. Mm. Sticking somebody on their own in a room for lengths of time is torture. It is defined that way by pretty much any measure that you can think of, it's literally defined that way by the UN. (laughs) So it's going to cause mental health issues. There's research that I'll show you that, Mm -hmm. right? Isolate a person socially, that'll definitely lead to mental health issues, quite serious ones, in fact. So how can your reaction be anything but normal and reasonable? Now, like I said, if you still feel that you're broken after that, I get it. No, I think what I was trying to say is mm. that if I didn't have social bubbles, because so small potted history of the supposedly normative me, I never used to hug people. It was an anxiety thing. It was brought up as a small kid and touch would just overwhelm me and I would find it threatening. I'd find it induced a lot of anxiety. By the time Josephine met me, I'm not quite sure what I'd done inside my head. But I think when Josephine first met me, I was at a stage where I would hug people socially. I would be comfortable giving and returning a hug, at least, in a social situation. And I've become better at that over the years because as my brain has gotten quieter, I've been able to hug. To go from that journey to seriously not hugging somebody from March until July where I got about five hugs in July. 
and another one in August and then breaking up with my partner, if I'd then gone on to not have any physical contact with anyone, I probably would have survived. But I think it would have been a lot harder for me because there's a thing that you miss when somebody touches you. There is a thing that you absolutely need. And having shut myself away from it for so long, deliberately because of the anxiety and then deliberately allowing it back in my life and finding ways to manage and understand it and not so much control it, but be present with it, not mentally run away when somebody was touching me and things like that. I think that if I hadn't been able to form a social bubble with somebody, if I hadn't had that experience of being able to be hugged and physically touched and comforted by somebody in the last couple of months, I know that my journey would have been a lot harder. And this is why my biggest fear is that the government will turn around and say, you can no longer do social bubbles. We just believe that they're too dangerous. There is a real fear when your only lifeline is a social bubble that it will be taken away because the government is failing to recognize the actual problems that they've set up, the actual systems that are not allowing people to isolate properly, that are not allowing people to um, have tests, that are not allowing people ways to protect themselves because there are so many people who are still having to work. Because for me to stay at home, for me not to go shopping, means there are at least three or four commercial institutions that need to stay in some form of work in some way that is hopefully allowing their staff to socially distance, in some way that is allowing their people to be safe, to support the fact that I'm working from home because I get groceries delivered, I get uh, organic food delivered, I get all the stuff brought to my house by lovely people, many of who I know are on zero-hours contracts, many of who I know that if they reported in sick might not be able to support themselves for those 14 days isolation with no government support. So there is a real privilege in being able to isolate. I agree with all of what you've been saying. What's been truly mind-blowing is that a couple of weeks ago, I realized that in our particular circumstance, we were in exactly the same situation we were 12 months ago. And it was really weird to notice that because we were in exactly the same familial situation in the house that we were one year prior at this time the lockdown was becoming more serious we were more afraid we were trying to decide how to function with the people that we have in the house we were trying to decide what to do next what to do with our queer little familial structure that is based across more than one household and it just struck me and it was the most truly depressing part about it was realizing that we were effectively in the same position. Now, we're not quite. One of the things that is a plus is that there is a vaccine that is maybe going to be distributed at some point. That's the only difference I could tell. The downside, however, was that this was number two, that the first one was difficult, but because it was original, because it was the first time, there was a certain amount of energy that was there, a certain amount of 
belief that we could get through this. And we did get through this. The belief was correct. But then when you're hit by the second time around and you feel like I'm in the same position, we have our family spread across more than one household, but some of us happen to be here, which is a tremendous privilege. We have a house that has more than one room, which also means that we're not on top of each other. I know that that is a factor for a lot of people who are having to shelter. We have had to shelter because one of our family members has got a reason to. Um, It means that one of our members of the household has not left this house in a year. Except for to go to one or two very specific appointments that were absolutely necessary. Yeah, this is a hard topic, Jane. I don't know. I don't know what to say. The, the Swedish government is freaking me out. L- let me just rant. How about that? I will rant just and we'll rant. see what happens. Rant the Swedish see, government. Let's see where we go. <clears throat> let's see this. This is going to be fun. Uh, I, <laughs> you're Swedish so lucky you're not an island. Fuck. I'm so tired. <laughs> no, we are basically an island because all the Swedish... Oh, we are an island because all the other Nordic countries stopped us going there. Why? Because our government has refused to believe that there is a virus, let alone do anything about it. And only just realized recently that there actually is one and has started to sort of do things, not do things, suggest they might do things, suggest we might want to do things to help ourselves to fix the problems of this virus. So my favorite one is now they're telling us that we really should wear a mask, except for six months ago, they were telling us that you shouldn't bother wearing a mask. My favorite was Anders Technell, the person who's our medical expert in this country, said in an interview to an English reporter when he said, do you wear a mask when you go out? He said, no, I don't, because Swedish people know to stay home when they are sick. And that was his response. And now they're saying you should wear a mask. Guess what's happening, Jay? No one is fucking wearing a mask. No, no one's wearing a mask because they were told the thing that they wanted to hear a year ago. Politicians regularly hate admitting they're wrong. So when they just about get around to saying, actually, maybe it'd be a good idea if you wore something on your face that meant the virus couldn't get in. People aren't in a state to listen. I don't even blame the people who aren't wearing masks walking down the street. I don't. I blame the people in charge who were very comfortable. So one of the most horrendous part about this is we've had to stay inside because we knew the science, because we knew that one of our household would have suffered if we had become exposed. So we've been following those guidelines by ourselves. No one else has. And I don't blame them at all because they were sent a message saying, you don't have to. But any media at all outside this country has said for months now, this has failed, spectacularly Mm. failed. Living in a country, as I know some people live in other countries, they have the same experience so they can relate. But living in a country where you know, you know your government has systematically ignored the problem, pretended it didn't exist, have cost lives, have ruined lives just in order to perpetuate a complete fantasy in order to what keep Uh, the economy going to make people comfortable to not have to deal with this to not be responsible i don't give a shit anymore it's about the economy and it comes down to the cost of a life and this is where 
Sweden has been valorized of like, oh, the British are going, we should have gone for the Swedish measures because their economy has stayed. And now you're starting to realize they didn't have to furlough anyone. And now you're starting to realize the enormous cost in terms of people who are vulnerable, people who are disabled, people who are not able to go out. It's valorized a normativity. It's valorized a normative way of being. A time period before now, I was at the launch of Jamie Hale's wonderful book of sonnets called Shield. Now, Jamie Hale is a queer disabled rights activist, and his work is breathtaking. And I use that word specifically for this. He writes about the experience of being a vulnerable, disabled, trans, queer person during this pandemic in such a brilliant way, describing what it is like to be shielding, what it is like to be sat there with people saying, your life isn't as valuable as somebody else's. If you caught this, we would not give you this treatment because we don't value your life and him fighting against that, him fighting against those notions of normativity. But this is what a lot of disabled activists and queer people are fighting against because of all of these things. You can write people off. And this to me is the worst part that this is brought out. But I think the queer disabled activists that I read, that I see, or the disability activists that I read and that I see are so right in fighting at the moment because of the way that the narrative has gone. And I think they're actually starting to win on that narrative because so many people are starting to say, oh, but half a sec, that sounds like my grandmother, that sounds like this person, that sounds like that person, and it's come closer to home. Sweden has a very nasty history, as so many countries do, especially European ones, of eugenics specifically. Sweden had some very nasty rules about that. Now, Sweden culturally and institutionally have tried to change that. I think you're quite right on the eugenics side. And it comes through in the narrative that comes through. It comes through in the way that people talk. It comes through in everything that these governments do. It also comes through in the way that you end up with a society of people like Josephine and myself, who, for whatever reasons, are having to follow the science, become very well educated in a way that some of us would never have to, become very careful, restructure our lives, restructure how we work, restructure our activities, limit ourselves in so many different ways. And yet you see other people who say, ah, but the government says it's fine and I will go off and do it because they have a certain amount of privilege because they're going, well, it's not going to apply to me. I'm fit, I'm healthy, I'm this, I'm that, and I'm never going to be one of these vulnerable people until they're in hospital suffering from long COVID. But isn't that the very nature of queer subjectivity or even difference of any kind? Is that notion of privilege? You have to know all the rules that apply to you and not to others. You have to know how your difference functions in this world in a way that those who consider themselves normative are treated as normative and therefore have no idea and no consideration that they are not immune because that's what they've been taught by every aspect of their culture, every aspect of their context. We who are different one way or the other know for a fact that is not true, that we are affected by reality. 
and we are affected by things that other people don't believe exists, whether that be institutional transphobia, homophobia, you name it, we know it exists. Other people are desperate to believe that it isn't real. They want to believe that it doesn't exist. And so we have to function in this sort of parallel universe. And I feel like that's what we're doing again here, is that those people who do know what's going on, those people who do read the science because they have to, it's like a trans person going to a doctor. We have to know everything about how we are diagnosed, how we're treated in this culture, how we might be treated by a medical professional. We have to know what their diagnostic criteria is in order to meet it, in order to make a careful narrative to get what we need. They, however, do not need to know all that. Very rarely do need to know all that. Don't know all that. And so when you go in, you are the expert, not them. We have to be an expert on those things that we know are real. And we have to act on that. Whereas people who believe that they're immune do not and mm. don't. And have you noticed that it really only makes a difference when it suddenly impacts them? So suddenly, COVID seems to impact them. Now it's a real thing. Now they treat it as if it's real. Whereas we know for a year that it's real. Because <laughs> we've had to deal with this one way or another. It is the very nature of difference. I'm just trying to think of all the queers who I know have looked at the rules, have understood them, have researched them, have tried to think about what they mean and also think about the payoffs that they're making every day. If I go to work, this is the payoff in terms of what else I can do because I know that I'm exposing myself and I know that I'm going to be around people who don't believe in masks. So how can I keep myself as safe as possible? It's the same decision that we make when we travel on public transport. When I go through airport security, when all of these things that we've talked about, our queerness has almost prepared us for this. And there was a little hopish moment there for me of like, oh, so if more queers are likely to survive this, if the surviving this makes people more queer, is this the start of the queer revolution? Is this the start of queers like taking over the world? Because it's our mindset and our brains and our way of seeing the world that is how we're going to survive this shit. And this, this capitalist privileged wankerdom that the governments have is going to essentially be shown up for the wankerdom that it is. And they're going to completely fall apart. And it's going to be queers who essentially stand up like the glittery cockroaches we are. We will stand there basically having triumphed over COVID. God, I'm a little optimist at times, aren't I? I, I just think you turned that little wheel right around. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that's quite revolutionary talk from you there, Dr. Jay. I'm all for it. But I'm just like, <laughs> you should have seen my, I was just a hand in my, okay, Dear listener, I'm going to do a little bit of audio description for you. For a minute there, I was sort of like rubbing my eyebrows and trying to figure this out, feeling very depressed about all this, feeling very intense. And then hearing Jay's plan for world donation um, through, well, basically, a uh, natural selection of the queers, which I quite like, or the natural selection of difference. Um, I must admit, I have a huge grin on my face, eyes wide, a little bit of incredulity, also joy, and just thinking, well, that'd be one way to do 
But I'm like, it is one of those things. It is completely possible because it is the queers who have always taken this seriously, who are comfortable in dealing with being different, who are comfortable with dealing with restrictions, who are comfortable with constantly meta-thinking every single action that you do in terms of safety. I think we're at queers shall rule the world. Well, I am. Queers are the superheroes who will rule the world with their superpowers of just like being able to follow the fucking rules, being able to listen because we're so used to listening to stuff around safe sex and consent and things like that. But when somebody says you need to wear a mask, most queers go, yeah, that makes sense and put a mask on. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, then that's that. I guess we've ended the conversation in an interesting place. Uh, I don't know if that's the whole. Are, are we done? Did we do it? <laughs> I don't know. I just, well, it's also the non-capitalistic version. It's the mutual aid version. It's the version of helping each other. It's the version of compassion. It's the version of not writing people off. Because queers, okay, I know that I'm using queers in its more ideological terms rather than in its strictly lgbtq plus terms because we know that there are some members of the l and the g and the b and maybe even some of the t and the q and the plus who would write off people who are disabled who are different from them who are all of those things but ignoring them because for the sake of my argument i'm saying but the queers don't write people off as a general rule we don't dismiss people we don't say to somebody you're not valid because we've had that done to us So we don't say to somebody, you're not worthy of something because we've had that done to us enough times. That's my point. And this is the thing where I'd I'd love to take a hopeful. This is not my normal way. I like to think, I mean, yeah, this is a distressing conversation. Am I being the optimistic one here? Yes, because my point will be, I know far too many people who would write people off. I am an optimist beyond all reasonable consideration of the term but i am and yet i find it really hard to be optimistic right now i know there will be a future i know there will be hopefully one where we're nicer to each other i am just deeply saddened by the people that we're losing in the meantime the life that is being discounted and always has been, to be perfectly honest. This is nothing new. It's just a little bit more obvious and a little bit more. I, I'm really struggling, Jay. I'm, I'm really struggling. I, I don't know how to pull myself out of this opinion, which is unusual for me. I know I will, um, but I, I don't know. I, I actually feel really depressed about all this and I'm having a really hard time focusing. But honestly, as you said to me earlier, this is a completely normal reaction. My flip from, oh my God, I'm in the bits of despair, which people have heard me do. I've gone from being really negative and really scared and sad mm. to being incredibly positive. And that split is a normal, absolute, totally normal reaction to this abnormal situation to hold those two views at the same time that are completely conflicting and yet to hold them both at the same time and yeah. with the same amount of passion is completely normal and to do so is good for my mental health however we get through this is how we get through this jane i think that's really true i think what's so fascinating about cognitive dissonance the, it's presented as this irrationality 
in some ways, especially in early psychology. This idea that holding two opinions that are completely in contradiction is a interesting human trait, but also an irrational one, supposedly. Whereas actually, I think it's a survival mechanism. It's a rational response to an irrational situation. It's a rational response to this feeling of despair when you look at how people who are supposedly in charge of treating you and counting your life, and you know that the only way they'll consider this in a better way is after the fact, because by then they won't need to have considered it in another way. So yes, despite my optimism and my eternal optimism, there are these moments of despair with this particular situation. And you're right. Thank you, Jay, for reminding me that this is a normal reaction because it is. And I consider the privilege and luck that I have in my life to have certain aspects of my existence right now that will allow me to cope with that despair, to cope with that anger at the absurdity of the situation and how it's worsened, to be mindful at exactly the same time of the wonderful people that I have in my life, partly because of the ways in which we have reacted to the circumstance. The people I've connected with in odd ways because of the current situation. I'm not going to thank COVID for that. I don't think I'm going to thank COVID for anything. But COVID is a virus that has no consciousness, nor is it evil or good in and of itself. It's a reaction to it. I thank the queers, the people who are different, I thank, for the connections, the opportunities in my life that allow me to cope, including my cat, who is loud <laughs> and interrupts and has this ability to break my autistic little mind, which can get very focused on ideas and can get into nasty little loops. And maybe that's her superpower and her queerness coming through. I am incredibly grateful to Jay for your um, friendship, your kinship during this time, the opportunity to talk these things through, to verbalize something that's going on in my own head in a way that I fear verbalizing elsewhere because I don't want to upset someone else. I don't want to talk about the situation and how it is. And of course, feel, well, I'm doing so much better than most. I have a job where I can be home and I have the opportunity to talk to people through this strange verbal space to even put this conversation out there to the internet. <laughs> I, like Jay has just very eloquently put, hold that at the same time as having this despair at seeing how human life is being valued, the quality of a single person who has died unnecessarily to me is a devastating concept that I can't even really take in. For example, for me, what's disturbed me particularly is the people who were being treated as, I have this phrase in my head, unskilled labor keeps coming to my mind and the weird dissonance is that the people who were called that or those terms were applied to are now being called essential workers unskilled essential it's been sitting in my head for months but it's those two words they just 
rattling around in my brain. It's the distance between the two. First off, there is no work that's unskilled, doesn't exist. Secondly, it's a credibly pejorative word that's used in order to justify not paying people a living wage and treating them badly. And then the goal to then call those people essential workers and basically force them to risk themselves for the benefit of others. And I benefit from that too right now because I also can go to the store and get things delivered from people who have no other choice. Realizing that is upsetting. I don't know what to do with that dissonance right now other than maybe name it, talk about it, try to help those people who are known in those situations in a tiny little way. But to be the, the potential to be crushed by that idea is very clear when I face it. But I refuse to ignore it because to ignore it would be to condone it, would be to enable it, even in my own tiny little way. This little queer <laughs> sitting in my house trying to deal with this. Something I think Jay and I talked about right at the beginning of this is that trauma is a funny word. Often it's used to describe something that happens on a singular occasion and has a long effect afterwards. Trauma of a car crash. You can get PTSD from a car crash. Those are the effects that happen afterwards. But the the cause is isolated. It's a singular event happened very quickly and then was gone. It's no longer there. PTSD treatments often help you to realize that it's not happening now, that it was then and it's past. This trauma is ongoing and has no feasible end right now. Hopefully, we will get to a point where enough people are vaccinated that we can go out and meet people. I don't want the world to go back to normal because that sucked, by the way. But what I do want is for a future. And I do believe it is there. But right now we're in the middle of this trauma and it's already having its impact. We have no idea what impact it will have. We can't even count the impact it's having now. And watching the news and looking at what people who are supposedly in charge are doing rocks me to the core as a human being. It disturbs me as I look at our culture and our odd way of valuing bits of metal over people. And as an autistic person, let me tell you, that makes no sense. As a human being, I believe most people, if they were asked in a genuine way, they would agree. It also makes no sense. This is really hard. Oh, I want to end another episode crying. I did that last week. <laughs> but I'm really grateful for the people I have in my life. I'm really grateful for Jay's hope and humor because it helps. I'm really glad. And however you're surviving right now, whoever's in the sound of this weird little recording, I wish you well. We're here with you. We are struggling probably in some similar ways and some not. Jay and I are very lucky to be able to shelter. 
Some don't have that chance. Many do not. And a lot of people are suffering because of it. That pain is immeasurable. And I cannot even begin to imagine it. So I won't be so ludicrous as to try and to diminish it. But if we can even suggest a humorous and possibly slightly true ideological version of reality where the queers win in the end, then I'll go with that. I think that's a good idea. Let's go with that. Fuck it. (laughs) I think we will. I think we will win. And when you were talking about that surviving, I was thinking of the gorgeous book of Hello, Cruel World by Kate Bornstein. And those wonderful pieces that she writes, which is about just getting through to the next day. If you're in that despair moment, just do what you have to do to get through to the next morning, to get through to the next day, to get through to the next minute, because that will make all of the difference. And she has that wonderful way of writing it that it doesn't sound quite so simple. But also, <laughs> she makes it also, sound incredibly simple. That's the best part. Yeah, I know. I it sounds so it. simple. And I've just gone and slaughtered all of her lovely simplicity. But she also has those wonderful get out of health. Jay. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanted to say I know that friends are struggling. I mean, we're on lockdown three, I think it is. And I feel like I'm in Groundhog Day. Every day, every week feels the same. One of the interesting things is that feels a lot like the transphobia, the homophobia, the patriarchy, the racism, everything else that we constantly fight against is exactly the same. We're used to this long, slow pressure against us. We're used to this sort of long, slow trauma and surviving it and coming out the other side. And you come out the other side, a very complex person, a very, I'm not going to use the word broken. You come out the other side with superpowers. And as we've discussed in superpowers, those superpowers may not be the ones that you grew up with. You may have developed some superpowers to get through. And we come out the other side determined that nobody should go through it. Determined to make the world better so that others don't have to do it. And that to me, I think, is that real power of the queer that I am hopeful about. And I will continue to be hopeful about even when I'm in those mental health moments of just wanting to curl up and scream. As queers, we are resilient. We are the glittery cockroaches of society. You think you've got rid of us. You think you got rid of all the glitter. And suddenly you turn over in bed and fuck me, there's glitter in the bed. And you're like, where did that come from? Who's been in my bed? What the fuck is going on? And it's just been a random bit of glitter that's just reappeared because you can never get rid of us. You can never fully destroy us. We will be sitting there at the end of days, little glittery cockroaches, little glittery queer cockroaches surviving as the rest of society falls apart. As the rest of the world falls apart, we will still be there surviving and probably walking in purse first. I have nothing (laughs) I can add to that at all. And I mean that genuinely. I think that's where I want to say that's what I want to finish this discussion for today if that's okay jay that's completely fine i have nothing to add that's amazing and i agree ah we are so shiny Mm. (laughs) okay well chase turned me around again which is what they are wont to do or want to do i still haven't got that word fuck the english language 
I do all the time, apparently. Wow. We do horrible things to it. Oh, I've been told I do dreadful things to English. Good for us. <laughs> On that yeah, yes. note, speaking of the English language and people who use it for terrible means. <laughs> I can't believe I'm still asking this question. It's been nearly a year, hasn't it? It's, it's coming close. <laughs> still asking the question because it's still there one day we're gonna to have to change this but not today because i'm gonna ask jay no because, <laughs> because she doesn't seem to stop <laughs> there's too much jokes too many horrors that could come out my mouth right now so i'll just say jay no fuck it i can't be bothered <laughs> <laughs> i'd rather not i'd rather not fuck it i'm done jay we're done we're done you're done you're done fuck it Thank you.